and welcome to Dungeons and Drama Nerds. My name is Percy, and today I'm here with Todd. Hello. And Nick. Hello. And we're here to discuss D&D and tabletop role-playing games on stage and why you might not see as much of it as you may expect. So with the prevalence and popularity of actual play podcasts like The Adventure Zone or Critical Role, you'd think that D&D would be a natural fit for the stage. I mean, clearly we did or we wouldn't be doing this podcast, but... When it comes to actually putting D&D on stage, there are very few examples of it to begin with. Notably, you have She Kills Monsters by Kui Gwen, which tries to capture the atmosphere of the game, explain some of the mechanics in an easy-to-digest way, and provide a compelling narrative both inside and outside of the game itself. And while we each know a number of plays here and there by various playwrights, there hasn't been the same surge of TTRPGs being shown in theater as, say, the rest of pop culture in the last five to ten years, so we're going to talk about what that's all about. One possibility that we wanted to discuss is that it might just not be very compelling to stage the playing of a tabletop role-playing game. The things you can achieve on stage can be a little bit limited in terms of what's engaging to watch. You know, this is not film. We don't have CGI, anything like that. You're working with what you can actually create with people and physical objects. Uh, And when you come right down to it, Something like uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons is a bunch of people sitting around a table rolling dice, which is not necessarily the most compelling drama in the world. One thing that this is actually making me think of right now is that I think the way to stage a D&D game in like a in like a perfect world is super theatrically with like props and costumes made of trash or like very obvious like pool, like, you know, aesthetics that are very theatrical and really cheap to craft which is like the favorite aesthetic of many indie theater companies that don't have a lot of money who also in my opinion interestingly tend to be the kind of companies who do work in this vein work that is responsive to pop culture or or work that is about things that are not like high art or things that are not fourth wall realism kitchen table Kitchen sink drama is the phrase, not kitchen table drama. Um, (laughs) I'm thinking of kitchen table polyamory, if we're being completely honest. Um, (laughs) Kitchen sink uh, drama. Segue that to another episode. Um. (laughs) Well, maybe not. Um, But yeah, I think it's interesting that you see a lot of work that is attempting to evoke this. Like I think companies that have the aesthetic that works best with this also tend to be the ones who are willing to take a chance on... um, talking about popular culture um but yeah i think my other observation in this vein i will uh i will offer is that um a lot of the plays that i can think of that have D in them are using it as a like a coming of age type narrative or somebody that it's using the campaign as a metaphor for some kind of journey that the characters are undergoing and i think that that is really interesting and dramatically compelling, but also very different from the actual reality of what a D&D game is like. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I find most frustrating and like challenging about D&D representations on stage is that I think often the game gets used as the sort of fun pop culture thing that then lets you talk about the quote unquote actual thing that the play wants to talk about, whether that's a relationship or mortality or, you know, fear of failure or fear of other people or whatever it is. I have not really seen many 
plays that include a game like this in a big way and just let it kind of exist on its own. Frequently, it's therapy, which I think the game, which I think is real, like it, like some people do go to games like this for that purpose to like work out something internally or to experiment with their identity or whatever. Um, Well, I mean, I would argue that that plays are generally like about the human experience. Plays are not just about a play like and so if the play is going to include Dungeons and Dragons and use it in a theatrical way, then like it must be about something much like the wolves is not about soccer. It's about coming of age um, for these young girls. And so while it is the soccer play, quote unquote, um, and while they do run soccer drills, it is not about them playing soccer. It is about these young women like growing up and being a team and i would argue that like if you're going to use dnd in a play it must be some sort of metaphor in order for it to be like dramatically compelling yeah i mean i think part of the reason that it is hard to stage dnd in a way that feels true to the experience of playing dnd is that um they have very different agendas um dnd exists to be a self-contained story that is told for the sake of telling a story which is any play that does that is probably not good. Like plays are constructed to have a broader meaning or a broader point um, in a way that D and D games frequently are, are not like, I, I think they just have different ob- objectives that make it hard to faithfully put a, put a D and D game on stage because I think you risk an audience looking at a long drawn out combat between you and the beholder and asking yourself like okay what is what what is the point um Hmm. i i think it's certainly true that it's you know that there are parts of playing the process of playing DD that aren't theatrically interesting to stage i think my frustration with it sometimes comes from to go back to the example of sarah delap's the wolves like yes the wolves is not a be capital a about soccer but also the soccer in the play isn't a metaphor for something sure. else. Sure. You know what I mean? And I feel like D&D often gets or tabletop games generally often gets thrown into that kind of world where it's like you're talking about tabletop games, but you're not really letting it just exist as a thing that's a part of the world. It mm-hmm. is always like I feel like in most of the examples I've read, it is like deeply enmeshed to the point where it's like, well, you're actually not talking about this really at all. You're talking about something else and like getting us there through the sort of filter of a very broad idea of what tabletop role playing games are, which is which is fine. Um, but definitely, I think not necessarily the same thing as like I'm doing a play that puts D&D on stage. Um, but I think that bridges to my hot take about um, why this is a difficult thing to stage, which is that the core sort of element of D&D is is randomness. Um, like there is an overwhelming, like you don't know exactly what's going to happen from moment to moment because things are resolved by a random dice roll. Um, and that is almost impossible to, to put on stage because in a play, the people doing it know what happens already, um, at the end and like the technicians and the actors and everybody need to know what's going to happen to some extent and there you have plays like Brandon Jacobs Jenkins everybody where there is an element of randomness that is baked into the structure but 
theater by nature is something that needs to be repeatable. Um, and D and D I think resists that. Like, I think the reason that sometimes D and D in plays feels so off base from the experience of actually playing it is because it feels really obviously like what's happening in the game is constructed to serve the story that I'm telling um, which is inherently not a bad thing, but very different, I think, from what good like D and D that is done well feels like. On the on the one hand, I would argue that um, we have plenty of plays that have shocking turns and twists, um, and that the actors need to perform as if they were shocking turns and twists each night. And so, like, I mean, it might be an old workhorse, but like to take an Agatha Christie play and to like. They need to feel not like they're random, but that they're unexpected, the things that happen if you're doing it right. And so I would say theater is, unless your actors are very bad, you should be able to like <laughs> replicate the feeling of newness and discovery um, each night if you're doing it right. Um, and I would also argue that I think, you know, if we're looking at uh, the adventure zone, um, I think they've created a very interesting narrative over the course of the years that they've been producing that podcast. I'm still, I'm like just at the end of the first arc right now, which I'm oh very excited goodness. about. I'm about to start the soul, the stolen century. Um, ah, we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it later. Um, but I think that like there are compelling opportunities for these narratives and i think that there are ways to stage them compellingly i think that you know a version is the the like duct tape and cardboard sort of aesthetic version that you were talking about percy um and i think that that has been done to great effect by uh the ultra corporation which produces kapawi gogo and puffs um i think that they've done theater like that which is really exciting um and is clearly like an amalgamation of a bunch of things and is not trying to be D&D, so that's like a segue. But I also think that there's a way to do a like really well-done, polished version of this that can feel good, but I feel like producers are unwilling to go there. And so like one of the things that I really love about um, Jacob York's initiative is there's this scene in a church where like two D&D characters are about to get married by a cleric and then... I believe orcs break in and they start smashing things. And these two characters start like shouting their vows across to each other as they're doing their like weapon attacks and spells. Uh, and it's just like a thrilling theatrical moment. There's something that's really exciting about seeing like, we're trying to do the plot thing, but also there's an encounter going on right now. And how do we resolve both of those things at the same time? And I think it makes for a thrilling piece of theater. And I think that there's ways to do this, but I think that there's a fear of either producing them because in the theater, we don't like doing what we perceive to be quote unquote genre theater because it is not quote unquote high art. I feel like there's a lot of that coming from like mm -hmm. producers. Um, mm -hmm. But I also think that like um, there's also the the flip side of that with producers is once we do invest in new work, um, we kind of like finding a thing that's established and doing it. 
and like that's kind of the only thing that we do and so we have she kills monsters and that's like the D play and so we haven't really explored a lot of other d not us but like the theater as a whole hasn't really explored other uh, D plays the way that chad deity is like the wrestling play and we are like mm-hmm. not allowed to have another wrestling play unless someone does something like very wildly different um, because it's already a genre yeah. thing. And so like, yeah, because like come to think of it, I can't think of very many plays that are set in a like fantasy setting telling a fantasy story that is self-contained within that set. You know what I mean? Like I can't I'm, I'm certain there are some, but they are like I, I think yeah we are not as a general because I think that's what I'm responding to in feeling this like adherence to we're playing D&D as a means to like to explore our journey through high school or as a means of exploring our sexuality or as a means of illustrating the changing dynamics of our friend group um, as opposed to like if you were to make the adventure zone into a play it would just be a story in a fantastical setting with an elf wizard and a dwarf cleric and a human fighter who are doing their own thing. And there is no connection to the quote unquote real world that we, the audience lives in, which I think is what I yeah, am, am getting hung up on. And I think that's actually the interesting kind of challenge because I'm not sure what you just described would really be a D and D play. It would just it be, a, it would just be like, fantasy play. <laughs> Right. And and what are we really interested in, like, exploring and representing? I, I think there I think there should be more kind of fantasy plays, you know, in our theaters and that kind of thing. But I also, you know, I don't think the thing that defines tabletop role playing games is necessarily the fantasy. And I think the thing that I miss and that I would love to see a a play really explore in depth is actually the experience of playing a game Mm. like that or you know something which again there's like real staging (laughs) and like theatricality challenges to that but i don't think the i i'm not sure i agree that the like the central experience of DD it versus theater is randomness or fantasy i i feel like it's actually participation and that's the biggest divide between like the feeling of playing a D&D game and watching a play is that in in a traditional like American theater setup, you're a passive spectator, whereas in D&D, you're a spectator to borrow a phrase that somebody other than me coined, but I don't remember who now. Sorry. Oh, I didn't coin it, but um, there's a Todd just raised a, his hand. <laughs> there's a um there was a dissertation that I sent your way about spectators. That was it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, that I think you're right. I, I agree with you. Um, but that makes me think of a question. So um, the company for whom I work does a fundraiser called Drinking and Dragons, um, where it is essentially like a group of theater people play a game of D&D on a stage and the audience participates by... Um, like purchasing boons for the party in some way or shape or form. Maybe it's like a health potion or something like that. Does that start to get at what you're talking about? Or are we starting to get into like other episode territory, like one-on-one immersive experiences where you are participating in a game? And when does that stop being theater and just become like you're playing D&D? 
Yeah, I think there's I, I think there's room for both. I I think that the second thing you just mentioned is probably territory for another episode and something I'm very interested in. But I also think that, you know, the yeah, the performance of playing the game is something that I'm interested in. And I again, you know, there are some plays that get into this. She Kills Monsters is one. Uh, Jacob York's initiative is another. But, you know, I, I feel like there are, again, relatively few and often it's not, you know, it's not really about playing the game. You know, sure. Um, yeah. yeah. In a I way mean, that I think I, I guess my pitch would just be that it could be, you know, there are whole like relationships and so on that are founded in that group experience, that kind of social dynamic that I think are worth exploring. But then I think the, the distinguishing factor, too, is like in She Kills Monsters, we there are some mechanics explained, but a lot of it is kind of hand waved or a lot of it we just kind of glide over unless it is intended to unless like the actual function that it's serving is illustrating like um it's if it is because i think a lot of the mechanics in the beginning function as like i'm illustrating that agnes is out of her depth and agnes doesn't quite know what's going on and it gives agnes an opportunity to be like this is so dumb and silly why did my why did my sister like this you know what i mean like i think one thing that i think would be great if we were to talk more about like let's put D on stage is let's not only see people sitting in a circle rolling dice and, and playing the game which you see in plays like Elsa C. Wentz initiative um, but also if you were to see like some kind of staging in which we are talking about the mechanics or we are um, seeing the mechanics at play and not assuming that they aren't interesting and maybe I only think they're interesting because this is a hobby of mine. Um, but who, who knows? Um, but I think, um, like one change that I thought was really great in the, um, in Quiguin's adaptation of She Kills Monsters for Zoom that was written this year is that like, there's a lot more narration and there's a lot more of that kind of reminder that they are in a game. Um, mm-hmm. I think for uh, a proper like tabletop play to be that like we need to have the world of the players and the world of the characters that they are playing. Um, And I think in some version, like for it to not just be a fantasy play. Yeah. um, Double cast. We need either a double cast or the the characters also need to play their avatars, which also happens in a number of different plays, whether that's about online games or tabletop games or whatever. That intersection is something that's really important um, to making the game work, but it also seems like that intersection tends to be where the metaphors lie um, and where like the playwrights feel the need to have metaphors come to light um, yeah. which seems to be the thing that nick is less interested in i i think maybe the thing that i'm and i'm figuring this out like as i talk about it but you know i always tell people this story because it's my go-to story of like the relationships you form in D are meaningful um but the summer after i graduated college i was living with my parents for the summer before i started a job and then and i like picked up a casual D&D game with some friends from high school. And while I was there, I staged a show 
in like our local arts center. And I invited all these people I knew from high school who were still in the area. And none of my like old high school theater buddies showed up. I mean, maybe some of them did. If you're listening to this and you showed up, I apologize. (laughs) But, But like I invited a lot who did not show up. Um, but all of that D&D group showed up and these were not uh, people who, you know, were otherwise into theater. You know, they like they were not going to see theater shows regularly. And for some of them, that was really the only like point of contact I had. But they showed up and I guess I maybe this is a part of a broader thing where there are some types of relationships that you just don't see put on stage or or put in the center of theater Uh in the u.s like we see lovers and spouses all the time parents and children all the time siblings all the time but like platonic friendships or you know group friendship dynamics which can still be very meaningful feel like they're at the heart of what that you know could be I just, I don't know. Now I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, I don't know that there are any plays that really go that I can think of offhand that really go like super in depth on that kind of dynamic. I mean, now I'm thinking about, and this is a not a tabletop play at all, um, but Julia Doolittle's username Prometheus mm-hmm. uh, was mm-hmm. really important to me when I saw a reading of it in New York in, God, it must have been like 2014, 2015, somewhere in there. Um and what was really beautiful about it's about like MMOs and online role playing games. Um, but what was really important to me is there were a lot of characters in it um, that reminded me of the people that I played D&D and online games with who just aren't often in shows. They aren't often represented in shows, their lives and their struggles and such uh, just are not part of the canon. We are much more interested in upper middle class white people who have living rooms that they sit in regularly um, (laughs) in the American theater uh, who worry about dinner parties. Um, And so that was really thrilling and delightful to see and like moving to see people that I knew so much in life but weren't necessarily theater people being Mm -hmm. shown in a theater. That was like really important. I think that actually like because my other kind of hot take about this thing is that I think we are still culturally struggling against the popular perception of Dungeons and Dragons as a game for cishet white dudes in their mom's basement in the 1970s um, doing a lot of math and feeling superior because like I think we're struggling against this general perception of like quote-unquote nerd culture um, looking a certain way and being comprised of a certain number of people. And I think also people who are not immersed in that culture don't understand the kinds of really genuine and lasting and important connections that you form doing a hobby like this. Like if you look at, there was a, a really just terrible SNL sketch from, a I think a couple of years ago at this point, maybe a year ago, but it was this, like these guys in an office who were talking about their D and D game. And they, it was just like this really cringy, like this is what you think people who play D and D look like is white dudes with mullets um, and neck beards, and the um, and the community really pushed back against it because it was like, hey, we all like not 
the, the community has expanded greatly in recent years. But I think if you were to advertise that you were doing a play and you were to advertise it as like, this is a D&D play, I think for a lot of people, you would be pushing against their understanding of it as one culture, when in reality, it is something very, very different. And it is a place where people who do not feel like they belong to like the broader culture have a place to fit in. And it is like something very different than I think a lot of people understand it to be. Yeah. And that gets those assumptions get baked into the plays too. just to run with the example of She Kills Monsters. And I don't I don't mean this as a criticism of the play, but, you know, the structure of that play is that the quote unquote average sister is like exploring the sort of hidden depths of her now deceased nerd sister like we are brought into the play from the perspective of someone who's like what is this this is weird which turns it into a thing that like sits out there and is strange rather than just a part of the world of some characters who are you know essentially normal people (laughs) who have a hobby that they share i mean qui also in that play um The intro of Tilly's character is about how she is uh, different among nerds because she is a she, um, which is also like, uh, while Queez plays normally have um, female protagonists, uh, a number of them do, Soul Samurai, uh, She Kills Monsters, I believe Alice in Slasherland does, I would assume, uh, but I have not read (laughs) Alice in Slasherland, but I'm assuming the... uh, Eponymous hero is that person. Um, <laughs> and while often uh, Kui has very diverse casts from the vampire cowboys or the flea or whoever is producing the play, um, the fact that the play, the world of the play, clearly expects a cis hat white dude um, to be this dungeon master that Tilly actually is. It's like an interesting, whatever. That. No, I I don't whatever like that's yeah, it's yeah, I would love to see us as a as a community just like push past that we have to be like, look at like, like, I think we I think I don't know, I feel like we push past the point where we have to actively draw attention to how we're pushing against those expectations and actually just like break those expectations and have it be normal and fine, Um, especially as we. Like when you look at the tabletop community, very actively having to fight against popular perception of this and against the kind of institutional level of like a lot of cishet white dudes who are resistant to change and resistant to listening to the broad swath of people of other identities who are telling them like, hey, here are the things that are wrong with this culture. Please change them. Like, I think I think we're we're we've evolved to a point where like we don't have to comment on it anymore. We can just represent it as it is. Mm-hmm. Well, and just, you know, D&D isn't a cult, or especially tabletop role-playing games, I would say, aren't a culture in many ways. You know, it's a wide, you know, swath of things. Like, there are, like you just said, Percy, there is a whole section of the tabletop role-playing game community that is, like, regressive cishet white dudes yeah it's the old school revivalists (laughs) (laughs) i'm just kidding well i'm like 90 percent kidding (laughs) 
I, I don't know enough to weigh in on that yet, but I'm sure we'll get there in a later season. <laughs> but that but that is like a part of D&D culture. The problem is like treating it as if it is one monolithic thing. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I would also say while we're here for a second on the the D&D hot takes, having recently reread She Kills Monsters, I have a few one dark elf is not a class though elf was a class in first edition but clearly they're playing second edition where it was no longer a class that's one (laughs) two demon queen is absolutely not a class that's just not a thing (laughs) three why is tiamat called the tiamat the whole time as though they are one of a number of tiamats that doesn't make any sense she's even they fixed that in the 2019 version so whatever but like that's not how that works (laughs) I'll just offer the possible explanation that perhaps this is all Tilly's 15-year-old homebrew. That is exactly what I was about to say. This is clearly a homebrew campaign. Um. Uh, fine. <laughs> and thinking about like what, <laughs> what the play gives us about Tilly, I absolutely would expect a Demon Queen class to be homebrewed. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like circling back kind of to where we begin this conversation... I'm not necess- I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with like let's use D&D as a means of exploring something else because like I use D&D as a means of exploring something else and I think that for example what they do in Sheikles Monsters where it's like we see a very real human being exploring her sexuality in the only place that she feels safe doing it like I think that's really cool and powerful and important but I also think like as with many other things in the American theater, like we can start trusting that things are interesting if we just let them be the things they are without trying to attach them to something that we already know is popular and compelling, like a coming of age narrative. Like, I think that is the, that is the step that would make it easier and of interest to stage D&D in a way that is interesting and cool and compelling and theatrical is like accepting that this is a thing that is popular and interesting and we can just put that on stage and people will be interested in watching it without having to draw attention to oh look at this you know nerdy outsidery thing that we're doing because it's not anymore like it's it is super not a nerdy outsidery thing in the way that it used to be I mean, it's still kind of a nerdy thing. It is a nerdy thing. <laughs> exclusively an outsidery thing anymore. Yeah, I mean, the, the the nerd culture war has just something that, like, I don't know. Given that the last what, like, twenty blockbusters were all Marvel movies or whatever, like the well, the, the thought of, of it being who, this. Yeah, I mean, the number of people who see me talk about D&D on Twitter who are like, I've always wanted to play D&D. It looks like so much fun as opposed to if I were in the 1970s with Kevin R. Free, um, I would... (laughs) um, You'd get shoved in a locker? I would get shoved in a locker or, you know, a horde of of moms would storm down to a steam tunnel and tell me to go to church, you know? Like, I'm talking about the satanic panic. Um... (laughs) Right. I'm just, where's the steam tunnel come into oh, it? The satanic. Pa- this is a history lesson for everybody. The satanic panic originated because there was this kid who went missing and um, he had been playing D&D in a steam tunnel at his college campus with his friends because they like, I guess, didn't have a space to do it elsewhere. Um, 
Dungeons and Dramners does not recommend playing tabletop role playing games <laughs> in steam tunnels, guys. Do not do not endorse. Um, I don't remember the full all the details of it, um, but that is what that reference was. But yeah, like I think um, there has been a really huge shift, and now a lot of people. I th- I mean, I'm sure there are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of people who are like, that's not interesting to me at all. But I think a lot more people are game to try it because they see how much fun other people are having with it. And it has become a cool thing to try, quote unquote. Mm. Yeah. Mic drop. End of episode. (laughs) (laughs) Dungeons and Drama Nerds is produced by Todd Brian Backus, Percy Hornack and Nick Orvis and is mixed and edited by Anthony Sertel-Dean. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at DNDramaNerds. Check out cast bios on our website, DungeonsAndDramaNerds.com. And tune in next week for another episode of Dungeons and Drama Nerds. Dungeons and Drama Nerds.